Turn your Bibles. Uh, we're going to touch on Matthew chapter 5, and then we'll get going from there. Matthew chapter 5 is really what we've been focusing in on in this sermon series called Salt and Light. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. This is what Jesus was telling his disciples um, on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we've been jumping into uh, Matthew chapter 5, particularly the message version. I like this one, how uh, Eugene Peterson puts it in his translation. And, and take a look up here. He says, um, you're here to be light. Uh, if, if you want to know what, are, what am I here for, what's, what's my job, what's my role, uh, you, you can stop right there. This is what you're here for, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. I'm putting you on a light stand. Shine. Go ahead and shine. Uh, I love those words, God colors. Uh, I got thinking in first service how uh, Dana's uh, dad, before he uh, uh, passed away, a few years prior to that, he had cataract surgery. And I remember talking to him, hey, how'd it go, Dad? How'd this? And he told Dana and I, it's amazing just the brightness and the colors that I was missing um, because of the cataracts that I had. And if you've known somebody who's had a cataract surgery or, or you've had, maybe had one yourself, you, you know that firsthand. That, that things get dim, things get dark, things lose their luster, and then all of a sudden this light gets exposed and, and the, the colors come alive. Well, that's what you're here for. Uh, I love Cisco talking about the delivery. You are the delivery conduit through which God has chosen to bring his light and life to this world. I said it last week, God, God can do it on his own. He, he doesn't need you and me. He really doesn't. But he chose to use you and me to bring his light and life, the, the message of hope to this world. So that's your job. In brokenness and chaos and storms and the struggles, you're to bring the redeeming work of Christ into this world. When a doctor has bad news for a young man uh, medically in our community. Good news. When a teenage girl in the community passes away unexpectedly, there's good news in the midst of that struggle and that strife. When life's dreams evaporate, good news and hope. When marriages break apart and are shattered, there's good news, there's hope, there's light, there's life. When life seems mundane and meaningless and we get caught up in this uh, swirling vortex of despair, there's light, there's life, there's hope. All is not lost. Why? Because the light and life of Christ flows in us and through us. Christ says you have something inside of you that this world desperately needs. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Think about it. When when Christ says this to his followers, when he calls to his disciples and he says, you're the light of the world, we're assuming something else. You, you, can, you can make deductions from that and say that because Christ is saying we are the light of the world, we can automatically deduce that there's darkness. He wouldn't call us to be the light of the world if there was no darkness. You think about that. Hey, you are the light of the world in a really, really bright light place. That's kind of redundant and meaningless, isn't it? He calls us to be light. Why? Because there is darkness. Sadly, the statistics show that a lot of people, even Christians included, uh, um, have a, a high appreciation for heaven and God and, and righteousness, and, but yet very few people 
considerably less people believe that there is darkness and there is an enemy of God. And uh, even more so, uh, people uh, have a tough time believing that there's a place called hell. I've said this many times before, by virtue of you being made in the image of God, you have an enemy. Let me say that again. By virtue of you being made and created in the image of God, and that includes every single living, breathing person on the face of the earth, created in the image of God, you have an enemy. Why? Because the enemy of God hates God. The enemy of God hates everything about God, and you being created in the image of God, you remind him of God. And I don't know how many times uh, people come up to Gabe and say, oh, you look just like your father. Now, that's not a compliment for him, all right? It's not. <laughs> He's got a resemblance. Do you know this? You have a resemblance. You look like your father in heaven. You do, and you remind the enemy, you remind Satan of God himself. Therefore, you have an enemy. The enemy of God is your enemy as well. And you need to know, Satan is not neutralized by your naivety. Satan is not backing down because you're, hyper, you're, sorry, you're not hyper-religious. Now, think of it this way. There's a couple of images that I, I, I thought about. Um, in, in our backyard, we have, we have deer, and they come and they bed down uh, some, some nights, and I, I, I walk out the, the back door in the morning with my coffee, and sometimes I'm not even just, I'm not even really thinking about it. I just walk out in the back, and I sit down, and I look up, and there are, uh, you know, six, eight, ten deer in our backyard, and it's funny. What do they do? They freeze. And this is what they think. They, they think, if I don't move, you won't see me. <laughs> have, you, have you ever seen deer do that? You, know, you kind of startle them and they just stop. If I don't move, you won't see me. And I think some of the, uh, us feel that way with, with our, the enemy of, uh, uh, of, of God. Our enemy. We can think if if we don't move, if we're inconspicuous, somehow we're inconspicuous. He's going to look right by us. If I don't move, you won't see me. Uh, another image I get is uh, how many played that uh, that game from the pit of hell itself, dodgeball, when you were a kid in, in elementary school. Dodgeball, right? Okay, this is the thought process of dodgeball. If I am not aggressive, the people on the other side will be nice to me. Did it work? Let me ask you that. Did it work? No, you still got beamed in the side of the head. You still got ringing in your ear. To this day, because you got beamed, you know, those balls that just kind of, and they make that ping sound when they hit you in the side of the head. <laughs> yeah, you know it. You know it. Right? Well, we get the, it's stupid to think that. If I don't get aggressive toward the, the person who's on the other side of the court, they're going to be nice to me. No, they're out to eliminate you. That's the name of the game. The enemy of God wants to eliminate you, wants to steal from you, kill you, destroy you. Because you are created in the image of God and you remind him of God himself. It's not a matter of being inconspicuous. It's not a matter of, of being nice or, or not being hyper-religious. 
I used to think as a kid, boy, you know, if, uh, you know, if I just get closer to God and I get real gung-ho and on fire for Jesus, then the enemy's going to come after me harder than did before. Well, the enemy's after you regardless of your spirituality. The enemy's after those who aren't believers as much as those who are. So you have an enemy. An enemy wants to destroy you. So you're sitting there going, okay, pastor, now what? Once again, there's a great message, pastor. Great. Glad I got up out of bed today. Glad I uh, set the alarm and came to church just to hear that I have an enemy who wants to eliminate me. <laughs> so there's a couple of things that I, I believe is an answer to that, what we're to do. And they're in your bulletin there. First one is exposing lies. I believe we need to expose the lies of the enemy. And the second is we need to live in truth. It sounds easy, and to a certain degree it is. But it's something we need to be deliberate about. It's something we need to think about. It's, some, it, it's not something we can just assume is going to take place. Turn over to Acts chapter 5. We'll get to the story of Ananias and Sapphira in a second. There's one particular verse there that I want us to look at. Before we get there, there's... A couple of images, a couple of uh, pictures that I think paint uh, for us how we expose lies. Um, many of you know uh, Pastor, uh, I, I call him Pastor Carmen or Dr. Carmen. Uh, he's a friend of, friend of mine, comes to our Thursday morning men's group. I've had him up here on, on the platform a few times to, uh, to speak about this. And I love the... the imagery he gives to this. He says the enemy is a, a spiritual arsonist. The enemy is a spiritual arsonist that, that, that feeds these lies to us. It's almost like a, a real life arsonist who comes by and sets fire, you know, opens the front door, throws a Molotov cocktail in, closes the door, and then runs away. The enemy is so good at doing this in your life and in my life. The enemy comes and, and, and flies these lies and these, these thoughts into our minds and into our hearts and then runs away and points the finger and says, you dirty, rotten scoundrel for even thinking those. Things that didn't originate in our minds to start with, they originated in the, in the pit of hell and in the enemy of, of Christ himself and fired them our way. And yet we're left with this inferno from this spiritual arsonist that's come along. I think it's important to know that the, the, the father of all lies is the one who originates. That's where it originates from. And he just loves to come and throw the fiery darts in, close the door, run away, and point the finger. How many times in your life have you been sitting there with an inferno going on and going, how did this, how did we get here? You know, how did, like, did I just wake up one morning and this happened? We need to understand that these are the lies of the enemy. They are fed into our, li into our lives, and we're left to deal with them. Another illustration, I think it's, it's very fitting, and I've, I've come back to this many times. Think of an airport. The fact that your life is an airport, and you can draw that, that parallel. An airport with a tarmac and runways. There's a control tower, and there's planes coming and going. There's planes circling around, and... Pastor Carmen put it this way, he says it's these thoughts that are, are entering into our airspace. We have the authority, we have the jurisdiction to allow them to land or to not land. We have the, the jurisdiction and the authority to, to discern and to 
to uh, um, decide what belongs on the ground in our heart and what doesn't. You see, we don't, those lies don't originate in our hearts. Those lies are coming from the enemy. Those lies don't belong, and yet the enemy wants to convince us that they do. And you see, we can have those thoughts, we can have those things, and, and what the enemy wants to, us to believe is that those thoughts that come into our airspace are our own and that we are going to adopt them. And you see, those ones that we have, those thoughts that we have that haven't landed, they don't belong to us. That's so important to know. And this picture was so graphic for me to just to understand. And as I've shared it to many people over the, the last number of months, it just it, it sheds light on to how the enemy works. You have the authority to turn those things away. Those things will constantly come in your mind. You just go, where did those things come from? Well, we need to understand and identify that they, they, they come from the enemy. And that just the fact that they enter into our airspace doesn't mean they're ours. And we, in fact, can turn them away. That's an important practice, an important thing to do in identifying the lies. But we, we have to have the mind of Christ. We have to have the Holy Spirit at work in us. And we have to allow that to be a regular part of our day. We can't just go through life just assuming that, that this wisdom and this discernment is going to be a part of our lives. We have to continue to maintain it and continue to work in it. So sin originates in the enemy of God and it comes in many different forms and it comes in many different ways. It destroys community, it destroys the work of the Spirit, and destroys trust. And this is what was taking place in the New Testament church with Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. Here you had a community, much like Crossroads Church, a community that, that finds great affinity with one another. Even though we have different backgrounds and different, different places of work and different family settings and different uh, likes and dislikes, we come together Sunday after Sunday. We come together in life groups. We come together in, in classes. We, we meet together. We love spending time together. There's a great amount of affinity. And there's, there's needs within this body that, that people who have those gifts are able to meet. They're, 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 you know, it's the whole body. You know, one part is an arm. One part's a leg. One part's a, 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 an ear and an eye, and, and it works in concert together with Christ as the head. It, it's this functioning community that there's so much health there. And this is what was happening in the New Testament. There were needs, and, and we're told that people would, would sell assets, and they would sell their commodities, and, and use that money to meet the needs of those who were in need. And this was happening over and over again. And, and a need came up. And this young couple, Ananias and Sapphira, decided that, that they were going to sell some, some of their assets. They were going to sell a piece of property. And as they did, they took the money and they took some of it for themselves. Now that wasn't a wrong thing to do. It was theirs to begin with. It was theirs to, to do with as they wanted. But what they did next, is that's where the problem was. They took some of that money they kept for themselves, but what remained, they brought to the church, they brought to the apostles, and they said, this is the whole amount of what we received for our assets that we sold. And therein was the lie, therein was the deceit and the pride. And I find it interesting what Peter said to Ananias in particular, and then later to Sapphira when she came in. But in verse 3 of Acts chapter 5, Peter said this. He said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? 
I find that interesting phrase. How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? It's interesting, the thought that took root, the thought that went from a thought to an action. This thought that was flying around in Ananias's airspace that he allowed to land and became his thought that became an action that resolved out of it. How is it that Satan has so filled your heart? And church, I have a question for each one of us. How is it that we allow the enemy and those thoughts that come in and those, those nudges, how is it that we allow those things to take root in our hearts? You know, I got looking at the, these words and, and I have to admit as I was studying, I was really hoping to find a difference in these words, particularly the word filled. We hear in Scripture an awful lot about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I was like, hey, maybe this is a point where, where, where in Scripture there's just a little bit of a different word that's used for filled by the thoughts and the work of the enemy versus being filled with the Holy Spirit. But you know what I found? It's the exact same word. It's the exact same word in that it speaks of what is getting put into our hearts. What are we allowing? It's, it's we're the receptacle. And we have the jurisdiction. We're the lid on that receptacle. We have the jurisdiction of what we're going to open it to and what we're going to allow to fill it. Is it the things of heaven? Is it the things of God and the things of His righteousness? Or is it the things of the enemy that we are allowing in there? You see, it's the same word, filled. What are you being filled with? And therein lies the discerning and the identifying the lies of the enemy. You see, in John 10.10, it says the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he does. In 1 Peter 5.8, Peter says, Be alert and of sober mind, your enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And, and so we need to get better at this, church. We need to get better at, at understanding and discerning where these things are coming from. I don't know how many of us would, would just go through a week not even really thinking and we get to the end of the week and go, well, boy, that was lousy, wasn't it? And we get just thinking that it's all up for grabs where, in fact, you have a war going on between that which is true and that which is a lie. Praise the Lord, He is supreme. Praise the Lord, and we'll get to that in just a second. But we need to be aware. Where are your sensitivities? Where are things that are, are strongholds in your life? Where are some things that are, are, are those nagging um, things in your life that, that leave you open to the, the work of, of the enemy? We need to be on guard. We need to be alert. We need to be sober-minded revealing darkness, unmasking it, and, and asking for the wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit, the wisdom of God, to identify those things in our lives. So we need to expose lies, number one. The second thing we need to do is live in truth. John 10.10 10 says, The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you would have life, life to the full. That's the truth of the matter, that God has all you need 
In 1 John 4, he says, The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. God Himself has won the battle. He is supreme. He has the authority. And as you call out the lies, and as you identify the lies and speak truth, truth will overcome. Light overcomes darkness. Darkness doesn't overcome light. Truth overcomes evil. Truth overcomes lies. Two of the greatest lies of the enemy landed closest to Jesus. And that was in his disciples, Judas and Peter. They're both based on fear. In Judas's case, it had a lot more to do with greed as well. But in terms of the kingdom of heaven, you think of Judas. Judas was, it was based out of fear in that he was going to lose control. He wasn't going to be prominent when this kingdom came to be. So what did he have to do? He felt like he needed to manage it. These were the lies that he believed. In the same way, in a similar way, Peter succumbed to that, that lie of fear of this kingdom. And, and as the kingdom seemed to be slipping away with, with Christ going to the cross, Peter uh, accepted that, that lie that said, you know what, this is falling to pieces. And in some ways, being associated with this isn't going to end well for you. So somehow, some way, you have to manage this. And how did he manage it? By saying, you know what, I'm not associated with that man. And here Satan felt like he had hit Peter with the death blow, not just once, not just twice, but three times. I think at times for many of us, we get feeling that when we allow these lies to land, that in some way we've been dealt a death blow. But here's my word to each and every one of us today, and I believe this is Christ's word to each one of us today, is He Himself is undefeated. And He Himself holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He's the one who has overcome the enemy. He's the one who has overcome Satan and his lies. We don't need to fear. We don't need to worry. We don't need to... Now, do we need to be aware? Yes. Do we need to be discerning? Yes. But we don't need to fear. And even if we have allowed some of that darkness around, even if we've allowed our light to wane a little bit, hear me, there is restoration. There is forgiveness. There is reconciliation with Christ and your light can shine bright. You think this was considerable time before Christ went to the cross and he's talking with his disciples and particularly with Peter. And in Matthew chapter 16, knowing what Peter was going to do, it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, and some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. There's confession of truth right there. There's living truth. And Jesus replied, you're blessed, 
Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. I want you to know where the revelation comes from. It doesn't, it's not something you conjure up yourself. It's something that truth comes from heaven. Truth comes from God himself. Jesus himself says, you did not learn this from any human being. Verse 18, he says, Now I say that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and get this church, all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And here, ages before Peter was to deny Christ, Jesus is saying, upon this rock I will build my church. And you know what? Even the gates of hell, even the lies of the enemy are not going to overcome this. And we see later, as the resurrected Christ has this encounter with Peter, he, he asks him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, 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 he says. Feed my sheep. Accomplish the work that I sent you here to do. Matthew 5, this is what you are here for. This is what you're here to do. This is my job for you. This is my objective. My plan is that you would bring the God colors out in this world. That not even the, the, the powers of hell itself would overcome you. So identifying, identifying the lies and living in truth and choosing to live in that. I'm inviting the band to come up and join me up here. And the way I want to end our service today is in a time of prayer. I want to provide some ministry for each one of us. And there are a couple of ways that I want us to do that. And I'll explain that in just a moment. But can we bow our heads in prayer? And I want to pray over us. John 1.5 says, The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so, Lord, right here, right now, we don't live in fear. We don't live in this, in this tension of who's going to win. This isn't a, a, a football game going into overtime, and, and we're on the edge of our seat wondering who's going to win. Lord, we know that you're supreme. You have all authority in heaven and on earth. Your enemy, Satan, is a defeated foe, and we have no one to fear. We have nothing to fear, so we stand in that confidence, and we stand in that assurance, and we stand in that authority today. And Lord, we thank you that all of the powers of darkness have been neutralized in your kingdom. And we stand firm in the faith. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who fills us with all good things. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.